welcome to the podcast for St. Andrew's Community United Methodist Church, a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith where our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. So once there were some college students that were kind of running low on cash and they needed to pay for their tuition and their fees and so it was they got this grand idea how to solve the problem of their insufficient funds. What they decided to do was they would produce and host a concert. They thought maybe a piano recital by world-renowned pianist Pataguruski would be the thing to do. So they contacted his agent and the agent said, yes, you must guarantee him $2,000 to come and play, and they were confident they could do that. They rented a recital hall, they did the publicity, had the tickets printed, but on the day of the concert, they had only raised $1,600. So after the concert, they took the $1,600 and gave it to Paderewski with a promissory note for $400, saying as soon as they would be able, they would pay the rest of the money. The pianist took the note and he tore it up and he threw it and he said, that will not do. He said, take the money, pay off all your expenses, then each of you keep 10% of what's left for yourself and then give me the rest. It was that kind of spirit and that kind of character that probably helped Paderewski to be elected the premier of his nation, Poland. When the war hit, Poland came under great distress. People were starving. They didn't have food. And Paderewski, as a leader, felt like he needed to do all he could to get food for people so they wouldn't starve. And that was when he called the only man that he knew who might be able to help him. Soon, tons of food, truckloads of food, started coming into Poland for the premier to distribute so that people would have enough to eat. When the war was over, he wanted to thank the man personally. So he traveled to Paris to meet him. Perhaps you're familiar with the man's name. His name was Herbert Hoover. And he told Hoover how grateful he was that his act had saved the nation. And Hoover said, ah, that's all right. He said, you probably don't remember it, but you helped me out of a hole when I was a college student. Now, what do you take from that story? I mean, part of me says is if I was a college student and I'd made money to pay tuition and fees doing one concert, how much could I make if I had two or five or, or ten? Maybe I had found the golden goose of the way to make money. And maybe some people look at Paderewski and they think, wow, see, what he did was he paid it forward. He, you know, what, what you sow you will reap, what you, goes around comes around, good karma. You know, that's not really what we preach. That's not what we really practice. Here's the thing I think we should learn from this. Generous people can teach us how to be generous. In the early church, when God is creating the church, God creates a people, and people ought to be generous. It's in the DNA of the church. We, we've looked at for several weeks what they were devoted to, the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper. And then last week we looked at how when trouble began to come against them, they prayed for boldness action to overcome their fear. But even as they were having this need to be bold, even though now things are going to get harder for the church, they never lost the need to be generous because God is generous. 
Let's read what that actually looked like from the book of Acts. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Brothers and sisters, the word of the Lord. So, how do you describe, how do you define generosity? Uh, last week when I was preaching, I, I talked about how one of the things that we do that is bold is we tithe. That whenever we tithe, and a lot of people don't because their faith has not yet overcome their fear. Their action has not overcome their fear. But when we tithe, what we're saying is, out of all the things that God gives us, all the resources, all the money, we're going to live on 90% and we're going to return 10% to God because we trust God's going to take care of us. And that is bold because in our culture, a lot of people can't live on 100% of what they make. That in every way, people go into deeper and deeper debt to try to have the lifestyle they want. So the question then becomes, is tithing generosity or does generosity start after we tithe? Maybe generosity is forgiving debt. That's what Paderewski did. When those boys couldn't pay him what they owed, he forgave their debt. And, and when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, forgive us our trespasses. But in other denominations, they pray, forgive us our debts. Maybe, maybe generosity is helping to feed homeless people. Maybe generosity is giving a few bucks to the panhandler on the corner. Maybe generosity is giving of your time and energy to provide educational support for students that don't have that kind of support at home. Maybe generosity is mowing your neighbor's lawn because it's too hot for them to get out and mow it themselves. You see, I think generosity looks a lot of different ways. And here's what I want to suggest, is that most of us have a generosity button in our hearts. Now, some people are stingy, some people are miserly, some people are greedy and they have a lot, but they don't want to share any of it, they don't want to give any of it. So that's why I don't say all people have a generosity button, but I would say most of us have a generosity button, and if people can touch that button in our heart, we not only give, we give generously. For example, yesterday I went to the store, and, and right outside the store, uh, there was some Little League team selling something. Now, I didn't have any cash, so I didn't stop and look to see what they were selling, but I'll be honest, I am less likely to give to someone outside a retail store than I am if somebody comes and knocks on my door. And if somebody's saying, you know, our baseball team's raising money, our volleyball team's raising money, I'm a sucker for that if they knock on my door. 
That touches my generosity button. If, if they come and they say, hey, we're selling cookie dough so our choir can go sing, or we're selling candy bars so our band can do something, I am much more likely to give because in boldness overcoming their fear, they're knocking on the door of a stranger asking for support, and I'm willing to help at that point because I understand how difficult that is. The story is told of Alexander the Great. He's traveling down the road one day, and as he's traveling by, there is a beggar on the side of the road lifting his hand, begging for alms from Alexander. And Alexander reaches in his purse, and he grabs a few gold coins, and he throws them to the beggar. As they continue to travel, one of his assistants says to Alexander, he said, you know, you could have thrown him a few copper coins, and that would have been enough to satisfy his needs. And Alexander said, yes, but it takes gold coins to satisfy my desire to give. Touched his generosity button. We all have a generosity button. We all in here have something within us that if a person touches our heart, we not only give, we give generously. This is in the DNA of what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is in our DNA to be people of faith. And while we have a generosity button, we don't all have the same heart. When it comes to expressing generosity, we don't all have the same heart. Maybe you really picked up on the last few verses I read about the man named Joseph. Joseph was a Jew. He was from the tribe of Levi. He believed that Jesus was the Lord and Messiah. And he had some real estate that he sold, and he took all the property or all the profit from that real estate and he gave the money to the apostles to distribute so that people did not have need. Now, of the people that saw him do this, this is when I began to wonder about the backstory of this. When the people that saw Joseph do this, they said to themselves, this guy's not from around here. I mean, a lot of people were doing what he did, but obviously his gift was so generous, it bore sharing who he was and what he had done, but he wasn't from around there. He was from Cyprus. And that's when I began to wonder. In Acts chapter 2, when we read how the, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh and now the church is born, it says that there were 120 believers and around them were people from all these different nations. They weren't from Jerusalem, but they had come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And whenever they heard the sound of the rushing wind whenever they experienced the tongues of fire sitting on each person's shoulder and then Peter gets up and explains this is what's going on and the people said what are we supposed to do and he says turn from your sin turn to God and be baptized it makes me wonder was Joseph one of the people that did that is Joseph one of the people that had come as a Jew to worship in Jerusalem, but now that he knows the Messiah has come, he has professed faith in him. And following his baptism and following that experience, does he then, I don't know, this is just, you know, trying to figure out the backstory. Does he then go back to Cyprus, sell the property, and then travel back to Jerusalem in order to give the money to the apostles? I mean, there was something about his gift that stood out among all the other gifts such that the people that looked at him and said, well, this guy's not from around here. Wow. We don't even know his name. So we'll call him Barnabas, a nickname, Bar, 
Nebus, son of Nebus, which means son of encouragement. Friends, whenever that generosity button is touching our hearts, I hope that we have a Barnabas heart. A Barnabas heart encourages those who need encouragement. A Barnabas heart lifts up those who need a little help because they are beaten down and they are trapped in their lives. In the earliest part of the church, I love that it says they all brought their stuff to the apostles and nobody had need. Anyone who was discouraged was encouraged. Anyone who need lifted up was lifted up. And yet, we don't all have the same heart. Some people have the Barnabas heart. And some people have the heart that we read about right after that. We're going to call it the Annas and Sapphira, Ananias and Sapphira heart. Now, some of you know this story, but for some of you, this may be new. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The properties was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. The word of the Lord. The Ananias and Sapphira heart is the imposter of generosity. They wanted to look like they were doing the same thing everybody else was doing, but there was something in them that was stingy, something in them was miserly, something in them was greedy. They had the appearance of doing good. They had the form of godliness, but they had rejected this newfound power of the Holy Spirit that lived in the lives of the believers. Ananias and Sapphira didn't have to do what they did, but in their dishonesty, they paid a tremendous price. There's a story told about a farmer who had raised all kinds of crops and when he was harvesting them there was a 
like the world's greatest carrot, big carrot, perfect carrot. He was so impressed with the carrot that he actually, in his affection for the king, presented the king with the carrot. When the king saw the carrot and he understood the man's heart, the king decided to bless him. And so it was that the king gave him a plot of land to increase the land that he could farm. A nobleman in the king's court saw what was going on, and so he went home and he got his finest horse. He brought the horse and he gave it to the king, and the king said, yes, this is indeed a fine horse. Thank you. And the man didn't understand. He was confused. And so the king told him, the farmer came and gave the carrot to me. You gave the horse to yourself. Beloved, this is why, as a people of God, we do not embrace a theology that would lead to prosperity. We, we don't embrace prosperity theology because prosperity theology teaches the more you give, the more you get. It sounds more like an investment strategy. If you just give and give and give, you are not glorifying God through your giving. You are the object that you hope to see blessed because of the gift. Instead, we give with a Barnabas heart that does not care what I receive back. What it cares is that my heart shows what I want to give. Oh, beloved, is there anything good we can say about the Ananias and Sapphira heart? Yeah, one thing, and that is that their giving outlived them, which could be a sermon illustration to say, and so make sure you put the church in your will and your estate and all that for legacy giving, but that's a different sermon for a different day. No, if I, if I had a prayer that we could see answered today, it's that we would have hearts like Barnabas, that we would have hearts that when our generosity button is touched, we don't just respond, we respond generously, that we give out of our gladness for all that God has get, blessed us with, all that God has given to us. And yet, I think most of us probably have that place in our hearts that's a little bit selfish, a little bit stingy, a little bit like Ananias and Sapphira. And I would surely pray that the Holy Spirit, in doing a transforming work in our hearts, would make us more generous. Most of us have more than we need. Most of us gathered in this place have a lot of things we want. Do we really need cable TV? said this three times this morning this is the first time my wife's heard it and she's likely to remind me I raised this up <laughs> do we really need Netflix do we really need smartphones there's nothing bad about these things we enjoy these things but do we really need them you see when they were sharing so that there were no needy people what the people needed was food, clothes, shelter. What people needed that they received in the church was love and relationship, not just relationship with Christ, 
but relationship with Christ's people, a people that we belong to, a koinonia, a community of faith. And that's why I love the vision of our church, that our vision is that we are loving, caring, overcoming community of faith centered in that relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-mm-mm. When God created the church, God created the church to be generous. And beloved, I am so glad that our church gives us opportunities to practice generosity. I want to share some of those things. I don't share this to boast. If we're going to boast, let us boast in the cross of Christ. But knowing that some people may be new and they may wonder when I say our church gives us opportunity, what does that mean? Let let me just share a few examples. The first example is this. Every week, every week on Thursday, we have a group of people that prepare and serve food to a homeless community here in South Oklahoma City so that they have food to eat. If that touches your generosity button, see me after the service. I'll tell you who to talk to so you can be involved in that. Every Christmas, people are in a generous spirit of Christmas. It's a time of giving. You know, we think of people, and we think of people that are on the margins of culture and how it is they perhaps do not have everything, and and places that distribute food and clothes are overwhelmed with the generosity that, that people show. In fact, it creates a wave that goes all the way till January, and by January, the need is back again. And that's why I love every February, we have what we call Thanksgiving in February. The Agape Sunday School class gathers together. They give us sacks and say, would you bring back a sack full of groceries? We always have a goal. This is how many pounds of food we want to get. And that's when we're running behind on our goal. We buy peanut butter instead of ramen. I mean, it's serious, but it ought to be fun. Y'all remember last November? think you were all alive then as part of our stewardship campaign we had a fun and exciting thing for us to do we called it good shoes and good news that we said everybody around has a pair of shoes that somebody else could use there's somebody that needs a pair of shoes your size whether those are baby shoes or size 16 shoes everybody has a pair of shoes that somebody could use maybe you don't wear them anymore because you know you got rid of the outfit it goes with maybe you don't wear them anymore because you don't have to work where you dress up there's a a number of reasons and you may have shoes that are gently used but we said if, if you want buy new shoes but or gently used shoes just just bring shoes but it wasn't just the sharing of the shoes every shoe had a a prayer or every shoe had a scripture that somebody shared because we weren't just about giving people shoes. We want to share the good news of Christ and salvation that's offered to us in him. Just out of curiosity, anybody remember how many pairs of shoes we collected to be distributed last year? I believe the number was 971, just under 1,000 pair of shoes. 
And so, just so you're aware, when we were planning this last year, that was just phase one. Oh, yes. We have a plan for phase two. Now, I know the wheels are turning for some of y'all right now. You're like, you know, I've got this pair of shoes that's still in pretty good shape, but I don't really like them anymore. I can give those and go get a new pair of shoes. Yes. But let me ask you, what is more generous? Buying yourself new shoes to give away your old ones or wearing your old ones so somebody else can have new ones? When God created the church, God created the church to be a generous people because as the people of God, we bear the name of God. And the church is a generous people because God is a generous God. God is so generous that, well, his love for the world was so great, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so because God is a generous and giving God, when he creates a church, it will be a reflection of his nature and character. He creates a people who will be generous. Where's a button in your heart? Today, in this moment, what would God have you do so that others have no need? Would you pray with me?